Hey, what is going on? We're starting early today. Early bonus Canucks talk content here on Sportsnet 650. So early that Thomas Drance will be by at some point. But right now, it's just me. It's Jamie Dodd here on Sportsnet 650. And we are breaking into our coverage early uh, because Canucks have made another trade. Their second in less than 24 hours. This time it is for that mythical, elusive, right-handed defenseman, Ethan Bear. Long rumored to be on the move, officially coming to the Vancouver Canucks organization. Uh, a fifth-round pick going back to Carolina. This is per my co-host Thomas Drance. Uh, Canucks also getting AHL center Lane Peterson in the deal. And Drance also uh, indicates that there will be some sort of of salary retention from the Carolina Hurricanes on Ethan Bear. Bear, I believe, making $2.2 million this year. is an RFA at the end of the season, so of course you get into the qualifying offer uh, conversation with Ethan Bear at that point as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get your thoughts in, your reaction. Again, the second trade we've seen in a relatively short span of time, you know, the message from Canucks Brass has been, we're always checking to see what's out there. We're always trying to make our team better. You know, my initial reaction to the Ethan Bear one, I'm I'm kind of of two minds about it, right? Because on the one hand, I like Ethan Bear as a player, and, and he checks some obvious boxes that the Canucks need, not just on their roster right now, but in the organization going forward, right? He's, he's right-handed. He's relatively young at 25. Not super young, right? Not a guy that you necessarily look at and say there's a lot of untapped upside there but relatively young at 25. He can skate. He can move the puck. Not at an elite level, but at a level better than what we have seen this season from most of the Canucks defenders. So there's an obvious fit on this roster. And from that perspective, I completely understand it. I think the salary retention, we'll see exactly what it ends up being, is a really nice part of this deal from the Canucks perspective because it might help them Retain Well, it will help them retain a little bit of extra salary cap flexibility to potentially make some more moves down the road this season. You know, it's a fifth-round pick, and it's always so easy with a fifth-round pick to be like, well, who cares? It's a fifth-round pick. How, how often? How often do those really turn into meaningful players? And, of course, that's true. At the same time, we all know this team has not made its, its full complement of draft picks, has not made a lot of draft picks over the last decade or so. And any individual draft pick, sure, the cost is low, but at a certain point, they are going to need to switch into amassing draft picks, right? That's going to have to become the MO of this team at a certain point. So the question for me is, again, it's a fifth-round pick, so it's not as if they paid a big price. And you're getting a look, you're getting a chance to see uh, what Ethan Bear looks like in your lineup, in your system. Again, this is a player who has had very effective moments in the NHL. This is not a guy that you're wondering if he can play in the NHL. He can. Fell out of favor in Carolina. That's a tough defense core to crack. Yes, I know Jalen Chatfield is playing there over him right now, but I think a lot of that is just due to kind of the situation with Ethan Bear wanting out and the team trying to find uh, a trading partner for him. So you're getting that look. It's only costing you a fifth-round pick. From that perspective, I completely understand it. I guess my question for me is, the big question for me is, how likely how likely is Ethan Bear to be a long-term solution for this blue line in some respect? And not just a long-term solution, but a long-term cost-effective solution for the Canucks blue line. That's really my number one question. Because again, he is not 
a dirt cheap player right now. 2.2 million. Some of that's going to be retained, but then again, you have to give him a new deal uh, this summer if you want to keep him around the organization. And you know, this is a guy. His counting stats on a per game basis are, are are nothing to sneeze at, right? He has 47 points in 190 career games for a defenseman. That's not bad. And if you get him into the lineup and all of a sudden, you know, he's playing a pretty significant minute load for you because you're desperate for young right-handed defensemen who can move the puck on your blue line, well, that puts him in a stronger position to potentially ask for more money in the summer. So I don't mind taking a flyer on the player. I like Ethan Bear as a player, but I'm also not sure he's ever going to be a fixture in your top four if you're a playoff, a perennial playoff contender, a perennial Stanley Cup contender, he profiles more as a bottom six player for me. You never know, right? Late blooming happens. We'll see. There, we'll see if the he can find another level here in Vancouver. But that's how I view the player. And when you look at it like that, you know they went out and got Travis Dermott. Well, he kind of has that same profile. Play f- player I like, but is he ever going to be a stalwart in your top four for you if you're really trying to get? to a certain level in the NHL. You know, Riley Stillman, bottom-pairing guy. Riley Stillman, by the way, they already have money committed to for next year. Travis Dermott is going to be an RFA. You know, none of these guys are minimum salary players. Not this year, not next year they're not going to be. They're guys you got to invest in a little bit. So that's the question for me. And the salary retention helps. I would have loved to be able to see the Canucks move a salary as well back to Carolina or maybe even instead of the salary cap retention. But that's the question for me, is now you've got this kind of glut of guys who are probably third pairing, and you have to pay next year. Does that limit your flexibility at all, and your ability to go out and meaningfully address farther up the lineup on the blue line? Because that's really where they need help, right? That's really what they where they need help. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Of course, coming to you live from the Kintech Footwear Studio. Get your thoughts in. It is early Canucks talk here uh, with Jamie Dodd. Drance will be by uh, in a little bit, probably at the top of the hour, when we would normally get the show going. You get your thoughts in on the Ethan Bear trade. Again, Ethan Bear to Vancouver. It is a fifth-round pick going to Carolina, and I should also say that uh, Lane Peterson uh, is coming back to Vancouver, and Carolina is retaining 400000 of Ethan Bear's salary. That's per Elliot Friedman. He was first on this. Lots of other insiders confirming as well. Uh, Frank Zervelli saying it will be a 2023 fifth-round pick, so that's this upcoming draft. And again, the Canucks getting defenseman Ethan Bear forward, AHL forward Lane Peterson, and there will be a $1.8 million price tag on Ethan Bear for the Canucks this season. Again, 650, 650. Uh, this one says fifth for two skaters. One is an NHL caliber player, the other is a minor leaguer. Maybe a call up potential. I will take that. Keith the Water Guy says, wasn't Myronberg a fifth rounder? There goes our depth. That's from Keith the Water Guy. Yeah, we'll get to the uh, the uh, the Jackson Nick uh, uh, trade. We're already, that one's already off the front pages. That happened like less than 24 hours ago. We're not even talking about it right now, but we will cover that one as well at some point here. 
Don't you worry. Uh, and this one says, uh, a glut of depth defenders comes in handy if you're a seller at the trade deadline. That's absolutely fair. That's absolutely fair. And look, I know they got the win last night. They are still very much trending towards being sellers at the trade deadline. And hey, look, if Ethan Bear gets back, like Ethan Bear, it's not that long ago that Ethan Bear was a pretty highly regarded young defenseman in the NHL, right? You don't have to go back all that long. That he played really well for the Edmonton Oilers. Or, look, I don't want to over-exaggerate things, but he played well for the Edmonton Oilers. If he can get into your lineup and show that he still has that ability, yeah, if this season doesn't turn around, if there isn't that miraculous run to get the Canucks back in the playoff picture and you're looking at potentially selling at the deadline, I'm not saying that's the reason they're doing this. Look, obviously they want to look at him and see if he can be a long-term fit here, but you at least give yourself the option of, you know, if we retain 50% on Ethan Bear, what could that get us at the deadline? It's more than a fifth-round pick. If he reestablishes his profile in the NHL playing on your blue line, it would absolutely be more than a fifth-round pick. And as the texture points out, well, maybe it's not Bear you're moving, but maybe his presence gives you a little more, more confident to move a Riley Stillman, a Travis Dermott, a Luke Shen, if that's a road you want to go down to at the deadline. We see what prices are for defensemen at the deadline every year. So that's a potential a potential path the Canucks could take now that they do have uh, more of a defenseman in the fold. Dan in Fort St. John says, uh, did Bear just go from a healthy scratch to a number one right shot defenseman? Well, he's not going to play number one right shot defense minutes because Tyler Myers is still here, but he's going to be in the top four when they get him in. And after today, after the game against the Penguins today, they have three days off, so they'll have chance. They'll have a chance to integrate Bear. They'll have a chance to integrate Studnicka as well before that Devils game on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean Ethan Bear is going to step in and be asked to do a lot for this team right away because again, I mean, how much have Drance and I harped on it? And it's not just us. I know we get all, you know we get caught up on the details sometimes on our show, but it's not just us. Everyone has noticed. That this team has an awful lot of trouble moving the puck. Bear will help with that. Now, there's a lot to get into here. Marcus and Gibson says, I'm very glad Niels Hoaglander wasn't involved in this trade. Yeah, that was always a complete non-starter for me. A complete non-starter for me. The idea of moving a guy with as much upside as Niels Hoaglander uh, in a deal for Ethan Bear never made a lick of sense uh, to me. And I didn't think they were going to do that either, right? So the fifth-round pick plus salary retention makes a lot more sense than maybe giving up a player like Niels Hoaglander. Uh, this text comes in from Spartan. I'm not over the moon about this latest move for Ethan Bear, but I like it a hell of a lot more than I do the Dickinson one. Keep your thoughts coming in, 650-650. At the top of the hour, Thomas Drance will join me. But right now, you hear him every day here on Canuck Central. Uh, Dan Riccio is on the line to weigh in. Reach. Uh, I'm glad you weren't at the gym like your pal Sat. Uh, we're very happy to have you on the line. Uh, thanks for hopping in, buddy. What, what's uh, what's your instant reaction here to the Ethan Bear acquisition? Well, I think it's one of those things where the Canucks just uh, got tired of watching their defense <laughs> struggle so much, and uh, they felt like they had to make a move. I mean, look, Ethan Bear is a super interesting player. We all know it. Um, it's It's been a tough go for him in, in Carolina, and obviously that last year in Edmonton, he fell out of favor as well. I mean, those are obviously those are the red flags 
on Ethan Bear, but there's a talented player in there too, right? And it, it seems at this cost, you know, a fifth-round pick, you get some salary retention from Carolina as well. You didn't have to make the Hoaglander move that Carolina was pushing for. Uh, I think at this cost, this this makes a lot of sense for a Canucks team that is desperate to find some some answers on the right side of defense. Yeah, that's, I mean, the Hoaglander one, we had that text come in immediately well, right? Like, okay, thank goodness they didn't move Hoaglander. Uh, in this deal, and I completely agree. I never really thought that was going to happen, right? Because it just seemed like too high a, a price to pay for a guy that you know Carolina obviously has no intention of playing uh, in a meaningful role. The I guess the question for me, Reach, is what is the likelihood that Ethan Bear is more than a short-term fix? Like, can he actually be a long-term? part of the solution on the blue line because you know you got to potentially pay him you might even have to give him a raise depending on how he plays for you in this summer as an RFA and you know if if he's just a third pairing guy like yeah he's an upgrade on what the Canucks have but can they afford to pay him what they, what it's going to take to keep him if he is in fact you know just a third pairing guy for them well m- money's going to have to go out somewhere right yeah. <laughs> um so if you're looking at it, like his, his qualifying offer will at least be uh, 2.2, right, in that range. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of at least booking that in. And, you know, given the injury they had to Tucker Pullman and the uncertainty there, like I, I think there, there will be space for Ethan Bear. I can't imagine him having like this awesome season where he's all of a sudden worth four, four and a half million dollars. But I think there is room here for Bear to – be more than just a third pairing guy. We saw it in Edmonton, especially that 2019-2020 year where it was cut short due to uh, due to COVID and they end up going into the bubble. But that year he played about as many minutes as as almost any defenseman in the NHL and played pretty well in those minutes on top of that playing against some of the biggest competition in the league, if I uh, if I remember correctly, he played alongside Darnell Nurse as the Oilers started to find their stride there. He 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 did not look good in the bubble, and you know he made some ugly mistakes in the the sweep that they had to the Winnipeg Jets that first round series, including one of the the, the game winning goal. I think it was uh, he had a glaring giveaway, and it was just like, man, I have one giveaway, and everybody's just like out on me. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of a hard, hard thing to take if you're if you're Ethan Bear, but it, his career's gone sideways a little bit since then. But if we look at that, you know, he, he there is some potential there that he's shown he can play big minutes. Maybe it's a little bit more high event than you would like. But in the overall, he does a lot more things than what the Canucks currently have on their right side. Well, it's just, I mean, even look, they win last night. But how could you not watch that game and still think, man, this team really has trouble moving the puck. They really need somebody. Oh. In that. And that's Ethan Bear's skill set. So from a certain, and you know, I said, look, at a certain point, they do have to start amassing picks rather than trading them. I know it's just a fifth round pick. But the flip side of it, and I started this off by saying I'm of two minds, because the flip side of it is when you are so starved, for talent on the blue line, up and down your organization. At a certain point, if if a guy like Ethan Bear is available to fifth round pick, the temptation is just going to be too high, right? You have to get him. You have to roll the dice almost and see what he can do with your group. And as you said, Reach, and you know what I'm curious now is at cer- at a certain point, salary is going to have to go out here somewhere. And 
you know, as much as the blue line lacks overall upside, it's kind of crowded now. We'll see what the, the future holds in terms of health for Pullman and Dermott, but there's a lot of guys on this blue line, and I wonder if, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe they could flip Bear at the deadline or whatever the case is, but it does seem like, you know, this is not the only defenseman-related deal we're going to see from the Canucks organization this season because at a certain point, the numbers aren't going to add up the way it's currently situated. Yeah, you've you've got to make some move somewhere. And, you know, we know the big one is Myers, right? Um, how they're able to move that, if it is in season, I'm not sure. But we know with the signing bonus that at some point – Maybe that Myers contract does become more movable. And, you know, he's continued to play decently well, even though he's sort of playing at less than 100% right now for, for the Canucks. It's, it's been elsewhere. That's, that's the problem. You know, you have Kyle Burroughs on an on expiring deal, too. You know, pretty much any right-shot defenseman you can maybe recoup the, the late-round pick that they sent here for, for Ethan Bear. I think that's, that's a realistic scenario that could play out later this year. But the cap is is an issue. You know, we know how little flexibility they have. You can't just like bank on, oh well, Gary Bettman said four million dollars is going to be added yeah. to the cap next year, and that's going to save us. Like, you know, I I, uh, I would temper expectations on that. You also want to be able to open up other flexibility so that you can do uh, some other things and be open to opportunities that may arise in the future. But this is an opportunity that arrived right now for the Canucks, and it seems like one that they have been monitoring for a while, negotiating for a while, and they made it work at a cost that is palatable for the moment. How they maneuver their salary cap is, I mean, it's it's a wonder right now. But I think the two biggest pieces that have to be of consideration are Tanner Pearson and Tyler Myers because they would offer the most flexibility. Pearson maybe is uh, less, how should I put this? <laughs> um, well, Myers is it, like, it's hard to replace Myers, you know, yep. as, as much as people don't like him, the minutes he plays, it's, it, it would be hard to replace him. So that's, that's the one where I think they could, but time is the biggest thing in order for them to be able to do that. Reach appreciate it on short notice, man. I'll let you get back to your day and uh, I'll look forward to hearing you and sat on central later. All right, man. That is Dan Riccio, of course, the host of Canucks Central here on Sportsnet 650. Lots more coming up. Thomas Drance is going to hop on. We will continue to break it down. Uh, Again, Ethan Bear acquired by the Vancouver Canucks, a fifth-round pick going the other way. Uh, Also, salary retained, $400,000 of salary retained on Bear by Carolina, and the Canucks getting AHL center Lane Peterson in the deal as well. More to come, myself and Drance on Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Hey, what is going on? It is officially the start of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host. He's here. He's in the building, ready to pontificate on all of the Canucks news. He is Canucks insider Thomas Trance, also covering the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And, of course, we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Drance, a lot has happened. A lot has happened since we last talked, since we signed off at 2 o'clock in the afternoon yesterday Pacific time, including most recently, and I was just tap dancing uh, for a few minutes before we went to break there. Dragging the puck. Yes, dragging the puck, as they say. Dragging the puck. Good for you. As they say. Uh, Ethan Bear. 
is a Vancouver Canuck made official just moments ago by the Vancouver Canucks themselves, but reported earlier than that by various insiders. Fifth round pick in this year's draft going the other way. Canucks also getting AHL forward Lane Pedersen uh, and Carolina retaining $400,000 of Ethan Bear's salary. So the Canucks drafted a Pedersen and an additional Elias Pedersen at the draft and now have added Pedersen. They are cornering the market. It's always a good trade when the Canucks add a Pedersen, right? Apparently. (laughs) I'm referring to the Neely deal, of course. Um, Okay. A lot has happened since we last spoke. The Canucks it really has. Traded for Two trades. Nika. Yep. Won a game. Won a game. They won a game. And now they've completed an additional trade. Now, Ethan Bear, that's the hot topic, right? We got to start there because yes. that just happened. It literally just happened. Broke, you know, I, I was working it, trying to get the Lane Pedersen detail out first um, and before you did. the show. Well, sure, but I also like me- missed up the tra- uh, framing of the tweet. So f- half marks, half backpats applied. With regards to Ethan Bear, okay, Ethan Bear's a good player. I like Ethan Bear a fair bit. Smart two-way defenseman. Some of that very classic like space cadet hockey IQ stuff that almost all defensemen have because if they don't, they're Chris Tanev. Mm. You know, like like if you're rock solid and are never you know prone to a gaff, you're one of the best defensive defensemen in hockey, right? Like defenders in the NHL, no matter how good you are, look silly. No less than 15 times a season, right? If you look silly only three times a season, you are an all-star yeah. defensive defenseman. You're Jacob right? Slavin. Yeah. yeah. You're Slavin or Tanev yeah. or legitimately one of the best, right? But but Bear is a smart two-way forward, right? He's physical. He can skate. There's definitely some puck moving upside to his game. Like, right off the hop, I would say he's probably the Canucks' best suited right-handed defender to playing tough minutes day one so that's a nice ad for this team right he's also relatively young um one year left on his deal which is 2.2 million really interesting thing to think about from carolina's perspective right is they acquired ethan bear for warren fogel is that right warren fogel yeah at the uh right last offseason yes and, correct and bear was sort of part of their replace Dougie Hamilton in the aggregate. We get Bear to help us replace Dougie Hamilton's defensive contributions. We get Anthony D'Angelo to replace Hamilton's power play contributions. Turned out that Anthony D'Angelo was just able to replace much of Hamilton's contributions himself. Ethan Bear dropped down the depth chart. The Carolina Hurricanes play a very strange style of hockey. And so even though Ethan Bear is a better player than Jalen Chatfield, for example, right? Jalen Chatfield is more disciplined about fitting in with what Rod Brindamore wants to do. He's more physical. He wins slightly more battles. Um, So even though he's more limited in terms of connecting play Mm -hmm. than Ethan Bear is, he was a better fit for that system. Ethan Bear fell out of favor. This past summer, the Carolina Hurricanes and Ethan Bear came to a really interesting agreement, a one-year deal for less than the cost of Bears qualifying offer. That's a very rare thing. You very rarely see that sort of settlement. And what it implies is that all sides sort of understood that, you know, we'd give it a shot, but at some point... Well, it's to facilitate a trade. It's, it's to, to make it more palatable for a trade partner. In the, in the event that the ice time yeah. is limited. Now, I do think Carolina was probably looking for more at times, um, but I also think this had dragged on to the point where the obligation to 
do right by a, a player who's done everything you've asked and just isn't in your plans came to the fore. Kind of n- not too dissimilar from the Canucks acquisition of Josh Levo mm. from the Toronto Maple Leafs, which, by the way, turned out great, right? Th- these are good deals to be on the receiving end of if you're a team like the Canucks. Bear's going to get a ton of opportunity here. You would expect him probably not tonight, but shortly thereafter. I would think they have three days off after yeah. the tonight, so I would think New Jersey. It's really too bad. Like, I saw him in the press box on Monday. Mm. <laughs> it's too bad, you know. You're, just stay here. Yeah, you're like 72 hours out from him just having been able to, like, just stay at the Rosewood or wherever they stayed and just be in Vancouver. Uh, so, Bear gets a ton of opportunity here. The Canucks get a really interesting defenseman. Some some additional forward depth, right? Pedersen's an expensive deal. Uh, the purchase price of that deal sort of mitigated from the Canucks' perspective by the amount of money retained. And I think that's a key part of this, right? If you do both Bear and Pedersen for a fifth-round pick, you're effectively picking up the the lion's share of $3 million, right? I mean, 2.2 plus 750K. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lion's share of uh, $3 million in prorated salary. I mean, you, you know, you're losing three weeks of that. But for the most part, a fairly large chunk with the retention, it's like reduced by 400K. So we're talking about like $2.1 million purchase of a – sort of 4 or 5 caliber defenseman with some upside and some youth who's an RFA I believe after he this is. year. He is. And and Carolina out of the equation gets a fifth round pick for a player who would have been a fringe non-tender candidate anyway, right? So they've just created random value. They get an additional contract slot which helps them a ton cuz they they I mean they've even got guys like Morrow who you might want to sign at the end of their college season, right? Like there's a ton of flexibility that opens up for a contending team to have that additional contract slot. And of course they've saved, you know, almost two and a half million prorated salary uh, by the time the 400K uh, retention is lumped in. So that's sort of the the deal. And it's a complicated one, right? This is a purchase. And I, I like, again, to see a team like Vancouver sort of flex their Canadian market muscles from this perspective like to find creative ways to buy a player should be the goal of every big market team always and to buy bear at this clip considering how asset poor this organization is and their need for defensemen I like that a lot I also would add that I think bear has the most upside like bear is by far the most intriguing of this class of defensemen that the Canucks have now gambled on right under Dermot and Stillman Stillman, Dermot bear for me, Bear is like a different, a distinct piece from those guys. I, I view, I view, you know, um, Stillman and Dermott as more limited, like real third pair exclusive guys. I, I know there's some hope that both could maybe, with time, transition into more. But in terms of really having, like, you know, I'd say they have top four upside, and I wouldn't just be being polite about it. Bear's the guy who sort of most clearly fits that. Uh, from that perspective, I like the deal. I really do think, though, in analyzing what we've seen, we need to zoom out. And this helps us because we haven't had a chance to talk Studenica mm-hmm. either. But I think we have to zoom out even further than just the deals of the last 24 hours. I think we have to look at this month, right? Like, let's look at this month in, in its totality because I think it helps you understand sort of where the costs are, where the risks are in this approach, right? Individually, the Dickinson for Stillman deal, right? The um, Studnika deal and this one are all sensible, all sensible. 
But I do think when you look at the three deals in concert, in combination, some seams begin to show that are, whether you're concerned about it or not, and I mean you as our audience, not you personally, whether you're concerned about it or not, it's worth talking about and identifying. I don't want this to be something where seven, eight months from now, people are like, oh, that, and, and we didn't mention it. You know, there are real risks here that need to be unpacked. So the Canucks have effectively sent out a second and a fifth round pick, right? The second in 2024, the fifth this year, plus Jason Dickinson, right? Who who honestly would be in this lineup, would be in this lineup and probably helpful, okay? 100%. Yeah. Uh, in addition to Mike DiPietro, who was not far removed from being one of this organization's top prospects, and Jonathan Myrenberg, who, you know, I'm sort of a little bit lower on than the prospect people, because we all know I hate young players, but... Like, there is a real chance. There, There is something there with Myrenberg. A lot of people who watch a lot of video or who look at his underlying numbers or have followed his career see a wide-framed guy with good skating ability who knows how to play the game as a two-way piece. He may be far away, but there's a real chance that he's something. So that's sort of the sum outflow from the Canucks. And in exchange, they've brought in Studnika, Lane Pedersen, Ethan Bear, Riley Stillman, Right. There are positives to what they've brought in, right? I, I really like the Studnika bet. That to me, it's like it's like if you picked up Kadarius Tony in fantasy football this week. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, if you did, yeah, if you did, right? You're not necessarily expecting anything, but you want to be the team that gets to figure out if there's nothing there because you know the obvious talent package, right? In his first year of American League hockey, a lot of like his rookie pro year. There were American League talent evaluators who will tell you they've never seen a 21-year-old play like that in the AHL, right? He was physically mature. He plays this, like, tenacious, direct game. Even if he doesn't work here, fans are going to like him, right? Like, there is a chance that he could not work out and be almost like a Tyler Mott type, yeah, right? Like, he's that type of, he's that type of worker, in, in, maybe not to Mott's extent, because Mott's a truly elite penalty killer, but like he's that type of worker. He's got a big frame. He goes to the net hard. People are going to like a lot of what he does. The problem is, is that he doesn't, or he hasn't the last two years, continued to show some of the dynamic things with the puck that we used to see from him in junior or that he showed in his first American League season. That's sort of become a little bit more absent from his game which has sort of caused his stock to fall a bit. Like just to put those numbers in context, so his first year, as you're talking about, his first year in the AHL with Providence, so he started the season as a 20-year-old, didn't turn 21 until February of that season, 49 points in 60 games. At, really good at, numbers. At, at that point, people were like, oh, this guy's going to be a future Krejci replacement. Yeah, really. Right? Like that, was, that was the level of hype around Studnika. Those are really impressive numbers. His career NHL totals are seven points in 38 games. One goal, right? So now whatever minutes all of that but it, it it's you had one expectation based on the AHL numbers and it has not matched it has not naturally developed into no. what you might have thought at the NHL but, level but his AHL points per game and is extremely good it's like 0. 0.8 yeah point, very close point eight, his other extended stint in the AHL he had 35 points in 41 games yeah so I mean 0. 0.7 in your age 21 22 seasons is sort of like what we look at as top nine upside like if, if you're below that you probably are not going to be a future top nine player in the NHL if you're above that, you have a shot. 
he was well above that and at a year younger than where we'd expect that. That's just like a, one of those golden rules, right? Just like a little shorthand that you can use to quickly evaluate players, um, you know, when looking at their elite prospects page. But the but the data is pretty firm on that. Below 0.7, you, you tend to sort of look at them a little askance, right? Like you, you, you're really going to have to be an elite penalty killer. You're really going to have to be one of the fastest skaters or the heaviest hitters. Yeah. Or there's going to have to be something wild that separates you if you're going to make it as a, as a guy who didn't score at 0.7. So, I like that bet. I like the bear bet. And yet, these are guys, like, at the end of the day, three years from now, right, what has more possible upside for this club? The second rounder, the fifth rounder, Myrenberg, Di Pietro, or the three guys that they got? Very clear very clearly you'd pick the <laughs> outflow what they've sent out is of more value from a long-term planning perspective what they've brought in is intriguing from both a, a, a long and a short term it's more like a medium term mm -hmm. but there is a medium term priority being placed in the trend line across these three trades that you know is a little bit at odds with what Certainly, we've been talking about the last two weeks and really advocating for, which is a more dramatic restructuring of, of this organization, a, a, a more dramatic approach to trying to improve your blue line and improve what this club is for the benefit of, you know, contending by the end of this decade. And to be fair, the thing, the piece, when you lay it out like that, and which side would you rather have, the piece that really swings it for me is the second round pick. Oh, for sure. Yeah, well, yeah. You know what I mean? That's by far the most so valuable if you, asset. And though. look, I get what you're saying about looking at it holistically. But having said that, since that Dickinson trade, circumstances have changed much more pointing towards the rebuild, right? For sure. So I do think you can make a case for kind of severing the Dickinson trade. And okay, since we've been in full scale, man, they need to rebuild really badly mode. I would take the future value of Studnicka and Bear over what they gave up in those two deals. It might not be an overwhelming edge. But I would. I don't know because it. The, the problem is, is that the like part of the reason the Canucks are able to get Bear is that they send the second out. Yep, for Dickinson. That's fair. That's so fair. there's value in the cap space, right? So one one additional thing you have to keep in mind in breaking this all down, right, is that with Bear at at the retention amount that he's in at, so one point eight, right, plus Stillman at one point four, plus uh, Studnika at he's on an ELC, right. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm not sure Last about year that. Last deal. Yeah. Anyway, it's about a million. But like all, all told, you're bringing in four million. So in addition to the other moves they've made, yeah, Stanika is actually seven, uh, seven hundred sixty to this year and next year and next year. Okay. Yeah. So not on any LC. Got it. But yeah. So so, so cheap you know, next year too. But four million cap committed versus the two point six five mm -hmm. that you had committed to Dickinson. So you've also committed an additional one point three million in cap space. Uh, for this year and next, and then Bear's going to be expensive to keep, potentially, particularly with the opportunity that he's about to get, right? If he takes this opportunity, you know, he's going to set himself up very nicely. So you have to factor that in, too. Well, you know, if you were shedding future assets, but you'd opened up $4 million in space, I'd, I'd, I'd like that a fair bit, right? Part of the value of the Dickinson deal is losing Dickinson's contract, and yet it's mitigated by the fact that they've already used that cap space paying additional picks to bring in players who are you know intriguing 
but they're intriguing depth players. They're not needle-moving players. And if you want to rebuild this Canucks blue line over time, you know what? I think it's worth keeping in mind. It's not you're not going to flesh out your third pair and the Canucks defense is going to be better. You're going to have Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers as your third pair and then your defense is better, right? You're not going to improve the defense from beneath, from below, right? You have to improve the defense from above, right? The best teams in this league, they don't have two top pair guys and two top four guys. They have four top pair guys, right? That's what the Canucks need more of. How do you get those guys? You need cap space and you need, and we talked about this so much last season, the cash in hand that is draft picks, right? That ultimately is what the Canucks need to pursue if they're going to meaningfully build the sort of blue line that they can contend with. These moves aren't necessarily at odds with this approach, but with the outflow of draft picks and, you know, more future-oriented lottery tickets, you know, I, I do think it, further reduces their ability to avail themselves in, in, in meaningful ways of some of those unique opportunities that come about. And, and in that way, sort of is a little bit more consistent with how the club has operated over the past 10 years, um, you know, which is an approach that I, uh, that I intend to repudiate in full at every <laughs> given opportunity uh, versus something new and distinct and, and something that sort of offers me hope that the magnitude of the task at hand is really being processed. So, good work. I'm going to give this my hashtag T-Bob, tidy bit of business signature stamp. Okay, I like there the deals. Go. I like the deals, but I think it's fair to be concerned about how closely this hues to some of the age gap trades of the Benning era, and more importantly, how it limits your ability to do bolder, bigger things that have a bigger chance or a better chance of significantly moving the needle in the direction that this club ultimately needs to if they're going to rebuild and build a contending quality blue line, you know, at some point before I'm 45. Um, Which my is 10 years, by the way, in case people don't know how old I am. I know I'm bald, so it's like hard to know. People might think that means like six months from now. No. My biggest question with this, again, is, you know, given... The way I would phrase it is, given his contract status this year, what is the likelihood that Ethan Bear becomes a long-term and efficient part of the blue line solution for the Canucks, right? Decent. I'd say but decent. That, that's the... I, I might even be slightly like less than decent. Not not as a terrible well, chance. Sorry, I mean, I mean, what do you? I, well, I would no, no, say no. like I, I'd say decent as like less than a one in five. But okay, that's like okay. a decent. Okay, chance. fair, 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 fair. Because. If you're paying him, you know, whatever number you want to put on it, because he plays big minutes here and plays well here, because he's going to fill a role and you're going to play him big minutes here. Oh, and he's going to have arbitration rights. But so the minutes he plays. Exactly. It matters a lot. And oh, like, yeah. his counting stats for, for a defenseman are good in the NHL on a oh, per-game yeah. basis. They're really good. Oh, right? Yeah. So, like, he's, he's going to have a strong arbitration case. Is that number, or is he going to be a piece where even if you end up playing him on the third pair that you're still excited to have in the lineup, or is it going to be, oh man, we're paying a third pairing guy this much? Well, and you're definitely That's not the playing him on the third pair. Right, but of, <laughs> you know, well, but, I, the, well, but the other question then is, if you're not paying him on the third pair, can you be a legitimate contender? 
You know what I mean? If he's in your top four, can you be a legitimate contender? So that's the kind of dichotomy. If he's in your sure. top four, can you be a legit contender? But he's going to be very expensive as a third pairing piece. Right. That's my long-term concern. Is there a way to thread that needle? I don't know. He helped. He's a good player. I don't mind it in a vacuum taking the flyer on the player. I just wonder how much, because of that contract dynamic and the kind of tweener status between third pair and top four, that's my only concern is does that limit the future upside too much? Well, and he's, and he's now 2.2 to qualify. Mm-hmm. Right, which so if he's not in your top four and you're not feeling comfortable that he's in your top four long term, and he's got st- a strong arbitration case, right? He's hard to qualify. Like he's hard to even qualify unless he is at that level for this team right away. Uh, you know, once you combine him, two point two Dermot Hoaglander's a pending RFA, Kuzmenko's a pending UFA, right? I mean, you get really it gets really messy at the edges for a team that doesn't have a ton of cap flexibility, and that's before we mention Bohorvat. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, it, this is sort of just comes back to why we've been talking about the need for more dramatic action. Uh, these moves, nice in a vacuum, nice in isolation. Do they fit with an optimal plan to turn this around quickly? Uh, you know, actually turn this around quickly. I don't mean turn this around quickly the way that the organization sometimes does. Push for the playoffs this year. (laughs) Correct. I mean, like, actually give us a contending team, you know, this decade. That's Effectively, that's my standard at this point. Like, and um, it's not a high standard. Unfortunately, it's only 2023, and yet I think it's going to be really difficult to do. Don't don't jump us ahead two months. It's 2022. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) That's a disaster. Anyway. Uh, the fact is, is that I do think these moves, you know, not Canary in the coal mine moves, right? These are not bad moves. I, I like these moves a lot better. I actually have an Adam Clendenning, Gustav Forsling take I want to get into. Ooh. Maybe let's save that for segment four. I want to relitigate that widely misunderstood deal. Um, but but so I, I I like these deals in isolation. I think this one in particular is the best of the set, but looked at. In totality, you're still seeing an outflow of prospects, you're seeing an outflow of draft picks, and you're seeing an an allocation of cap space that I do think impinges materially on this this club's ability to do the bigger things that I think ultimately are more important. Uh, We'll talk lots more about Ethan Bear, the Jackson Nickett trade as well. The Canucks won a game. They won their first game last year. We'll get into that, of course. Brendan Batchelor joins us next to talk about it all right here. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here with you, reacting to a flurry of moves by the Vancouver Canucks and also their win in Seattle last night. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Brendan Batchelor will join us uh, momentarily. Uh, I did enjoy this... <laughs> This, you mentioned you're 35 uh, in the last segment, uh, Drancer, and this text came in. Drancer's only 35. A new surprise every day from a, from an unsigned texter. <laughs> Fair. Yes, I know it's quite troubling. Don't well, don't 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 work 18 hours a day, kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I you would don't recommend. say. Um, 
Chet in Burnaby texted in, uh, I'm here for the Huggy Bear pairing experiment. Of course, that would be wow. Quinn Hughes wow. and Ethan Bear. Is, is, Chet, is Chet one of those people with a facility for nicknames? I think he might be. I mean that I like look I've I've expressed my admiration for Chet's text on this on this program but that that one's kind of a layup. I didn't think of it. Yeah, but well, the obvious ones are the best ones. There you go. Anyways, yeah. I mean Quinn Hughes has to get uh, has to get healthy, but sure, let's take a look at that. Uh we'll talk about that and a whole lot more with our guy Brendan Bachelor who of course is the voice of the Canucks here on SportsNet 650. Batch, how's it going, buddy? Good. How are you guys? Uh how did it feel to call a win in the regular season last night for you? It felt strange, but uh, <laughs> in, a, in a good way. Yeah, it was, uh, it, they certainly didn't make it easy, and it was kind of one of those third periods right down to the end where you weren't sure it was going to be a win until the clock finally ran out, and they got the job done. So good for them. I'm, I'm sure it'll be a big boost for them, and we'll see how they carry it forward into tonight's game against the Penguins. Well, one of the strange things about the losing streak, I thought Batch was probably outside of maybe one or two periods, right? And the third period against Buffalo stands out. But outside of that, it's not as if effort has really been an issue. Like, guys have been working hard and skating hard, and I thought we really saw that last night, obviously, with the fights at the beginning and the block shots at the end. And, you know, I think more than anything, it just must be a huge relief for the players to actually see that effort that they have been putting in, you know, despite a lot of fair criticisms of their game. I think they've been working hard. The relief to see that actually rewarded must be immense. Well, and it's funny how things work in the NHL. Like, that game that they played in Seattle last night was far from their best performance of the season, and yet it's their only win. Um, and, and that kind of is the way things go sometimes in the NHL, and certainly it's the way things have gone for this group. But, yeah, you know, the, the third period against Buffalo stands out, but, you know, you can criticize this team for – you know, a lack of talent. You can criticize the way players are deployed. You know, there are plenty of things you can criticize, but for the most part, effort level hasn't been one of them. And it was very clear that they understood the opportunity they had last night going into Seattle, uh, you know, with on paper, one of their more winnable games over the next couple of weeks here as the schedule picks up and gets, uh, you know, a little bit challenging for them going forward. And tonight's game is one of those, is you're the the tired team that had to travel home against a Penguins club that's been resting and been, you know, motivated by the fact that they've lost two in a row. So tonight's not going to be easy, but, you know, it seemed clear that they were aware that last night was an opportunity for them to get that win. And it certainly wasn't an oil painting, but they found a way to do it. So credit to them. Batch, what did you think of their overall performance in the game? Uh, not from not from a you obviously credit the players and you're glad just to see the relief on everyone's faces post game last night. But what did you think from the performance for the Canucks and what it might mean as they try to put this tough start behind them? Well, the result is is almost more important than the performance because you just get a win. You get to feel good about yourself. Even if you didn't play that well, and especially in the third period, the Canucks were heavily outshot, um, but you know found a way to get the goals they needed at crucial times, um, found a way to overcome the fact that they led in the game and, and let Seattle back into it. So, you know, to me, it's it's less about how they actually played, which 
you know, as I said, it was far from their best performance of the season. I think there's still a lot of room for improvement, and certainly with the players that they're being forced to to ice on the back end right now, things are going to be challenging for them until they get Ethan Bear in here, and he might be able to help out a little bit in terms of their transition game. But it was the fact that you know the sky didn't fall this one time. I think that is something that this this group can hold on to and even though Seattle pushed and was very close at the end of the game and if not for that really nice empty net goal by Connor Garland from inside his own zone we might be talking about a a different result at the end of the day it's just the fact that they got it done that they found a way and now it's something that they can try and build on what were your thoughts on the performance of JT Miller last night he has the fight he has that primary assist on the Kuzmenko goal and the big block shot late. What do you think this means for him, both in terms of the fan perception element, but also just, just to get off the schneid you know, so dramatically yesterday? Yeah, I think Miller, the last couple of games, has actually been really good. Of course, he scored both goals against Carolina, and I know this is something that you know, you've been campaigning for for a while, but it really does seem like the move back to the wing for Miller has opened up some things in his game. Um, and you're right. Yesterday was one of those where he contributed in all facets of the game, whether it was the beautiful setup on the Kuzmenko goal, whether it was being one of the guys that dropped the gloves early to fire up his group, whether it was that huge shot block at the end of the game. And, you know, I guess it remains to be seen how much he's going to be impacted by that in the short or the long term. I imagine we'll find out when we speak to Bruce Boudreaux later today, but you know, that's the JT Miller that had so much success last year. That's the JT Miller that put up 99 points. A heart and soul guy that was giving everything he had for his team every night. And I thought, you know, he was one of their better players last night. So, you know, from a personal perspective, he's had a couple of good games here that he can build off of as he gets back into a, a situation that I guess is more comfortable for him playing on the wing. And, and we'll see how things progress for him. Batch, how uh, how concerned are you about what we're seeing from Oliver Ekman Larson so far to start the season? Yeah, uh, pretty concerned to be honest. I think the foot speed uh, is is a problem, and for it to happen this early in his tenure with the Canucks, just in his second season, where we're seeing him beat to the outside, um, we're seeing his skating ability hamper him in in the way he plays the game. You know it's it's going to be a problem for this group if it continues. And, um, you know, it's it's early in the year, so, you know, there's a possibility that ekman Larson can, you know, find a way to, to be more effective defensively than he has to this point. You know, it's always possible that he's playing through some sort of injury that's affecting him too, although we don't have any information uh, to that regard. That's just my speculation. But... You know, if Ekman Larson's game and particularly his skating is trending in this direction this early, it, you know, not only concerns me for the immediate future of this team's ability to defend if they're going to rely on him to play big minutes like he did last night. I believe he played over 27 minutes in the game yesterday, of course, with Hughes out of the lineup right now. But then you look at the long term, too, of what's left on this contract and how he's going to be able to contribute to this group for years to come. 
uh, in conversation with Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Uh, another game right back at it against a, a daunting opponent. We'll get into the Pittsburgh matchup in a bit here, but a couple of trades have gone down uh, in the last 24 hours for the Canucks as well. Most recently, they acquire Ethan Bear from the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, plus an AHL player for a fifth-round pick going the other way. What's your reaction to the Bear deal, Batch? Yeah, I think, you know, I like the addition of Ethan Bear to this group just because it's it's a good bet for them to make, right? Like, you don't have to give up a ton of capital. You give up a fifth-round pick to bring in a guy that right now is going to immediately become a top-four defenseman for you and, you know, sort of fits the profile that you lack on the back end, which is a right-shot defenseman that can help you transition the puck. Now is, you know... Ethan Bear, the second coming of Bobby Orr. Certainly he's not. This team still has tons of issues on the back end, and adding Ethan Bear to this group isn't going to fix them overnight, but it is going to help a little bit. And, you know, I, I think you look at the Studnika trade as well. These are both moves that are good bets, right? They're, you know, not incredibly high in terms of acquisition cost, although I know some people really didn't like the fact that they moved Mirenberg out, but. You trade a right shot defenseman one day, you acquire another one the next day. So organizationally, you filled the hole that you lost in the trade that, that you made with the Bruins. So, you know, these are the kind of moves that I think we've seen Jim Rutherford make with the Pittsburgh Penguins when they didn't have a lot of draft picks, right? They found ways to acquire guys that would come in as depth pieces and help their group or, you know, sign college or European free agents that would pan out for them. And you look at what Niels Oman has become for this group to start the year. That's a good example of that. So um, it, I guess it remains to be seen, you know, how Bear is going to fit in on this back end. But for him personally, he's going to have an opportunity to come in and play here right away on a team that can really use his services as a puck transporting defenseman. With Studnika, Bear, and Stillman coming in, and an outflow of a second, a fifth, Jason Dickinson, Myron Berg, Mike DiPietro. When you think about those moves in concert, what can you glean about Vancouver's approach here to rebuilding the blue line and sort of adding younger players? Yeah, well, I mean, when you put it that way, the asset cost feels high, but that's because of the second-round pick to, to get rid of the Dickinson contract. You know, Alvin spoke a lot and has spoken a lot about culture and about raising standards. And, you know, they're not going to switch over the core group of this team overnight. So it feels to me like they're prioritizing players that they believe can come in and help make some of those uh, culture changes, I guess, if you want to call them that. But also players that, that can help out, right? Like, we know what Ethan Bear is. He is going to be an upgrade on what the Canucks have on the right side of their blue line right now. Riley Stillman, they feel, is an upgrade on what they have in terms of depth pieces with some of the injuries right now. And, you know, perfect example is the fact that Jack Rathbone didn't get into the lineup until Riley Stillman was hurt. So that kind of tells you how they feel about Rathbone and some of his deployment, as opposed to Guillaume Brisebois over the last couple of games, kind of leads you towards what they think of Rathbone. So, you know, the, the way I look at it is they're looking for more reliability and consistency further down their lineup, whether that's in their bottom six forward group, whether that's, 
you know, with some of their depth defensemen, bringing in guys that they feel they can trust, that have a little bit more NHL experience than maybe some of the other players they've been forced to play in those roles to this point. And, you know, it's hard to argue with that as a plan in terms of trying to make some tweaks to this roster when you're currently unable to make some of the major changes that you may want to make. Now, again, this isn't going to turn the Canucks into a Stanley Cup contender overnight, but it, it sort of it, it feels to me like slow, methodical, diligent business by this management group, making upgrades where they see fit, adding players that they like, when they get the opportunity without having to give up too much capital, obviously with the exception of the, the Dickinson salary dump trade. Um, and, you know, I, I guess we'll wait to see how these moves pan out, you know, as a whole, and then what this means for the organization in the long term, in terms of foreshadowing some of the bigger moves that this management group might make in the weeks, months, years to come. But, you know, I can't really quibble with any of these moves, maybe with the exception, again, of giving up a second-round pick to move off the Dickinson contract. That's a, you know too high of a price for me personally. But you know these, these seem like diligent, smart, well-thought-out moves, and you hope anyway that that is a, a good sign of what this management group is going to be able to do going forward. Batch, no Gensel for the Penguins tonight, uh, but it's still Crosby, it's still Malkin, it's still Chris Letang. Canucks on the back uh, second half of a back-to-back. Penguins a little bit more well-rested. What's it going to take to get the W tonight for the Canucks? Yeah, it's going to be a tough one, right? This is one of those scheduled losses that you talk about where you're the team that travels, you're the team that's playing the back-to-back. The other team's had a couple of days off. This is also going to be a very motivated Pittsburgh club because they lost back-to-back games coming through Alberta on this trip. So it's not going to be easy. And, you know, I'll fall back on a cliche that we've heard uh, both the general manager and the head coach fall back on in the last couple of days to win games like this, your best players have to be your best players. So you're counting on Elias Pedersen and JT Miller and Bo Horvat to step up and produce offensively. And then defensively, you just got to find a way to keep your head above water. And if we assume that Spencer Martin's going to start tonight, then you need a pretty good goaltending performance from him as well. If you want to be a Penguins club that historically has been very good against this Vancouver group, whether they've got guys like Gensel and Zucker in the lineup or not, uh, they're always a tough out for the Canucks. And that is especially the case with this scenario tonight with Vancouver having played last night and with the injuries they're dealing with right now, particularly on the back end. Batch, always appreciate it, man. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll chat soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. There he is, Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Canucks. We'll be calling the game once again. 7 o'clock puck drop against the Penguins tonight. Also have word that uh, Patrick Alvin will be addressing the media, uh, obviously about the Canucks' couple of recent acquisitions. That will be at 6 o'clock, so you will hear that on the pregame show, which begins at 6 o'clock with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. We do have a, a really quick, short reaction clip from Patrick Alvin, the Canucks' general manager, on the acquisition of Ethan Bear. So let's hear what the GM had to say about the newest Canuck. A little bit about why you made the deal, Patrick, today to bring in Ethan Bear. Well, I think we have uh, been a little bit depleted here early on on the back end. Uh, as we said uh, all the way along here, we uh, wanted to add uh, younger players. Uh, uh, here we've got the right shot uh, defenseman that's uh, been playing in the league for a couple of years and uh, 
uh, been part of some some playoffs uh, with with uh, both Edmonton, I believe, and Carolina, and uh, hopefully we could uh, uh, get him back on track here uh, with our group. What do you like about him? What do you think he'll bring to your hockey team? Um, as I said, uh, it gives the coaching staff another option with the right shot, um, his ability to move pucks, uh, his ability to get the puck out of our own end quick. Um, his transition game has been has been something that I watched over the years that I like. Um, so uh, uh, just getting uh, another option for the coaching staff, and hopefully we get uh, more competition here. That is Canucks general manager, Patrick Alvin. Also, shout out to our guy, C-Mac, who you hear asking the questions, lobbing the questions there to Patrick Alvin. He will face more questions from the media uh, at 6 o'clock. And again, you'll hear that here on Sportsnet 650. Yeah, I mean, as you as you heard from McCann, transitions the puck, can get the puck out of their end. As you may have noticed, as you may have noticed last night, even in the win, uh, major areas of concern for the Vancouver Canucks transfer. So we'll see what Ethan Bear can do once he gets in uh, to the lineup. Uh, we haven't really weighed in on the game last night at all yet. Yeah, no, I mean we, we'll have more time. Yeah, yeah, we'll get we'll we'll do the full debrief yeah. in in segments two and three. I think. I mean, trades are exciting, and you know, tell us a lot. I mean, we've we've every time we've talked about the games the last two weeks, we've been like, but it doesn't matter. It's what they do in the big picture. And so we're beginning to see the shape of of what that looks like. I mean, finally, we're seeing, you know, active the active sort of trading, right, that we expected from Jim Rutherford. The, the last three weeks, we've seen three deals. The right? churn, yeah, right? The churn. Just like new blood. And again, not all of these are going to be – you're not going to look at all these in two years and think, oh, wow, these are home runs. But there's obviously an appetite just for some level – of activity and some level of trying new things. Some level of change. When, exactly. Well, what you have is obviously not working. We'll see if the new stuff works. That obviously remains to be seen. But yeah, okay, let's start to mix it up here. Let's get some fresh blood in. Yeah, and, and I mean, Rutherford has had a pretty good track record of this. We'll see if he can, you know, trade up from a paperclip to a home. <laughs> but, you know, one one thing to keep in mind, like, I, I again, just come back to my concern, which is it's one thing to be resetting your third line when you're a contending team, right? And and that's one of the great things. Like, the best work that Rutherford did was building that Benino-Kessel-Haglin line, right? All guys that he acquired via trade. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, you don't win back-to-back cups in Pittsburgh without that. Uh, the Trevor Daly deal, you know, the, the some of those trades uh, to rebuild that blue line, the Justin Schultz deal, that was a homer. That was a straight-up home run, right? Uh, but the, the, I mean... That's one thing, but that's a team that has, or had back then anyway, just an overwhelming ton of talent. You know, this team, to me, the issue is the top, right? It's not about finding a defense that's just good enough to win when you have Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. It's about rebuilding what this team can do at the top. They're not even winning games at the top of their lineup, right? So, you know... Rutherford's approach has paid dividends in the past. It's tried, it's tested, and true. He has done a phenomenal job resetting what his teams are in midstream multiple times, including the year that they won the Cup, right, where he brought in a ton of players, jumped the market, super aggressive in adding Doug Waite and Mark Recchi. Was it Mark Recchi? I'd have to go back and look. Pretty sure it's Mark Recchi. Anyway, um, you know, so it's interesting. I just wonder if... I wonder if the 
things that have worked in the past are not necessarily what this team requires. That's that's my concern here, right? Like I think this is such a distinct situation because this team is capped out, has no prospects, isn't good now, right? Like this is such a I can't even remember a challenge like this. You know, and I think we have to be it's not being negative to talk about where this team is, right? Like this team has a bottom five prospect pool, a bottom six record in the NHL over the past decade. They've missed the playoffs six of seven years and they've won one of eight games, right? They need to win. If they win 10 of their next 13, okay, 10 of their next 13, pretty, pretty big ask. They'd have 24 points in 21 games at American Thanksgiving. And that's probably what you need to be in a playoff picture on that fateful date. It's not as fateful as people say, but it's still a date we all pay attention to, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to be in that spot where it's like, oh, all the teams that are here, 90% of them make the playoffs, you have to win 10 of the next 13, right? You have to win four of the next five and pick up the, the loser point in the fifth of those games just to get back to 500, right? This team's in a big hole now. There's nothing coming. There's no cap space. And so I like these deals. I want to be so clear that I like these deals, especially the one today. But at the end of the day, are you rearranging deck chairs while still heading headlong toward the iceberg is my concern. And I think it's a fair one. These deals remind me, and we've talked about this before, they remind me a little bit of the like the, the AHL depth signing on July 1st, right? Where everyone's waiting for the big splash, and then you sign Christian Willannon. And there's the kind of, there's the impatience and the, oh, wow, yeah, that's going to fix things. Plan the parade, right? The sarcastic remarks. And, well, no, it's not going to fix everything, but you still, it still might be a win for your team, right? It still might be a good move. It still might be something that, you know, gives you value, gives you more value than you had before in the organization. But you're absolutely right that obviously the moves of this magnitude cannot be the extent of it. Right, like as as we talked about earlier this week, that's that's nibbling around the margins, that's fiddling at the edges of of what this team is. Eventually, a more significant reset needs to come. I do try to look at it though, just okay, taking these deals in and of themselves. Yeah, overall, I like them, but I also understand the point of view of okay, well, when's the actual? When are the actual fireworks gonna come? When are the real big moves? The real reset? When is that going to happen? I think that's a fair question. Uh, even though, hey, it doesn't mean just because these weren't big earth-shattering moves, it doesn't mean they weren't worth doing. Lots more to come. As we said, we will uh, dive into the win. Yeah, they won a game, their first game of the season against the Kraken, still undefeated against the Seattle Kraken, uh, the Vancouver Canucks. We'll talk about that. Lots more coming up. Looking ahead to the game against Pittsburgh tonight as well. More to come on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, final hour of the day here on a Friday afternoon. Sportsnet 650, I'm Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here as well. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech. Dot net. Drance, we've made it an hour into the show. We have barely, barely even mentioned the fact that the Canucks finally won a game. They beat the Seattle Kraken, held on by the skin of their teeth to win 5-4 
on the road and get their first W of the season. Or at least held on by the structural integrity of their ankles. <laughs> My goodness. So, a lot that I liked about that game. Okay? I loved Tanner Pearson standing up for Sheldon Dries. You know, this is a group we've seen it a little too often, and I want to note never from Tanner Pearson, but we've seen too often that a Canucks player will take a big hit. Uh, I've t- I talked at length about Nick Blankenberg yep. crushing Vasily Podkolzin and also, you know, my heart, and uh, and uh, and looking around expecting someone to come for him and no one did, right? Like, we- I've talked about that. So when Sheldon Dries gets lined up by Adam Larson, Sheldon Dries playing his first game of the season, sort of one of the organization's shuttle squad players, like a quad A guy. And Tanner Pearson's like, no, I got Sheldon Dries' back. I loved it. And then JT Miller told me postgame he was so fired up that he wanted to fight too. Like, he just wanted to get in on the act. And then Bo Horvat's yeah. trying to fight. And I actually felt bad for Bo Horvat because you obviously really wanted to. And the, the uh, I forget who it was, but the. It was Vince Dunn. Right. Makes the smart decision. Like, no, well, we're down I, to four defensemen. Yeah, like, I can't I be can't, a third I can't defenseman. Do in the it. Bus. I literally can't do it. <laughs> but I was like, Horvat was like, oh, I feel left out now. I wanted to do it too. <laughs> well, know? he got lucky because the play goes the other yeah, way yeah, and yeah. Ilya McKay scores. Right? Like, if Bo Horvat fights, the play's dead and there's no goal. So. Um, anyway, I loved that because, you know, sometimes, sometimes when things aren't working, you just need to change it up. You just need to do something completely different. Like, ah, let's fight three times in the first period, you know? Sure. Why? I mean, it can't hurt. Nope. What's the worst that can happen? And if that, like, I can be as much of a skeptic as the role of fighting and the actual impact of fighting as I want. But if psychologically that's going to make a difference for the team, you really can't argue with it, right? Like if... It's it's the kind of thing where if if they believe it works, then it kind of works, right? If they're going to draw motivation and energy from it, well, what are you going to say to it then? It works. Yeah, so long as it uh, and look, I think anything that gets the blood flowing and gets the energy levels up and gets guys feeling like tonight is different, you know, no matter why they're feeling that way, it's worth a shot. You know, it's worth a shot at this point. Like it's kitchen sink time. Mhm. For the players in that room anyway, right? Again, you got to win. 10 of 13 to have 21 or 24 points in 21 games, which isn't even all that good, right? Like, I'm not talking 100-point pace. I'm talking 95-point pace, right? 10 of 10 of the next 13 to get there, right? You need to do, you need to do um, uh, f- f- nine points of your next 10 just to get back to 500, right? It's a long way back. This team has dug themselves a big hole. So moments like that matter to me. I, I liked that. I loved what I saw there. I thought Elias Pettersson was fighting the puck. I asked him about this post game. I was just like, look, man, I need to know. Did you feel good today? Like, you know, everyone's talking about this tape on your wrist. Did, 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 did you feel good? Because I saw you making low percentage plays for the first time this year. And he was like, I felt great today. Like, stop. And I was like, okay, because, you know, it's just interesting to me that you can look like that. Where it, you know, I'm watching you play. I'm like, you're not on the way you have been every other game this season. And then all of a sudden, we makes two incredible plays. Well, that that keep in at the blue line. Yeah, that keep in at the blue line, and then that pass that he sends to JT Miller. There is no wobble on it. Like that is a high risk play, except it's zero risk with the force that Elias Pettersson puts on that puck, with the, like, absolute... Like, it lands on JT Miller's tape. That was an absolute world-class play, and the fact that it came in sequence with a reactionary keeping at the blue line just 
beautiful, like brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And then, of course, knocking that puck out of the air, um, you know, Pedersen's badminton skills coming to f- coming to the fore. Incredible stuff, like absolutely incredible stuff. So I like that. I liked JT Miller's exits. Okay, JT Miller's blind passes exiting the zone worked consistently throughout the game. Right, they were on point, and he helped engineer positive momentum through the neutral zone for the first time all season. Right, that I know he scored twice against Carolina. He didn't play well. I'm sorry, he didn't. He Got a Bo Horvat-created tap-in that Brent Burns had completely duffed. He capitalized off a mistake, and he made a really good wrist shot after a puck bounced off of Jesperi Kakaniemi's face. Two goals doesn't mean he played well. He'd be the first to tell you that. Last night, he played well, and he helped key the Canucks transition game. First time all year, uh, that's been true. He also had a couple moments defensively, but but for the most part, that was like a, that to me felt like progress for JT Miller for the first time all season. The last 10 minutes of the third period, I really liked. Like, other than that high tip-in goal that was never going Mm -hmm. to count, I don't know. Like, the Kraken had a ridiculous amount of scoring chances all game long. And then all of a sudden, in the last 10 minutes, with the Canucks nursing a one-goal lead, this team that has been unable... It was their 10th lead of the season, and they were still winless. This team that has failed to nurse a lead all year for, you know, up until um, Connor Garland makes it... 5-4 5-4 or 5-3 five, 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 three. Three at that time. So for seven and a half minutes, it was spotless, clean. Could eat a burrito off of it with a knife and a fork. Like it was a really good, polished, mature, uncharacteristically sharp team defensive effort to just grind the clock out, get the puck moving, play solid, low event hockey from a Canucks team that has really struggled at that precise aspect of the game. I loved that eight minutes. Probably the most impressive eight-minute stretch I've seen from the Canucks all season. Far more impressive to me than like scoring goals in Edmonton while still losing mm. games in the neutral or while still losing the neutral zone overall. That part of the game I loved. And then after it was 5-4, the desperation closeout. Bo Horvat's work in the circle, the way that the Canucks were eating pucks with JT Miller sort of personifying that as Burakovsky just <laughs> drills one. Absolutely golfs. <laughs> 400 foot drive into JT Miller's ankle uh, with time expiring. That would have been a really dangerous chance, by the way. If you look like if you look at the shooter's angle on that, it's like, oh boy, that would have been a tough save if JT Miller doesn't get his ankle on that. Lovely stuff from the Canucks in all of those respects. The um, the the only I think there was the one moment it was Bjorkstrand had a good chance in the third period yep. and Demko had to make a big save. But yeah, other than that, it was there was never a moment where I felt as if, oh man, Seattle's beating the door down and they're gonna score any minute here. The dam is about to burst, right? It didn't feel like that. No. Seattle controlled the puck. They they controlled the puck, which is no surprise, trailing at home and trying in the third period. But it wasn't leading well, to and those, also they controlled the puck all night. They controlled the puck all night, no doubt. We'll talk about that. But it didn't feel like, oh my goodness, a goal is gonna come any minute here, right? So I liked the players' performance. I liked the gumption that they showed. But... Well, look, we said it. I, I, <laughs> but... I thought that was their best effort. And I literally mean effort. The hardest working right. game they had all year. But as I said to Batch, outside of one or two spots, that hasn't been the issue no. this year. And a lot of the things, some might say all of the things, well, actually not quite all, but a lot of the things that have, in fact, been the issue were an issue again last night, right? Like, Seattle looked way faster 
And they are, in fact, way faster than the Canucks. And you saw every bit of that advantage on the ice last night. They demolished the Canucks in the neutral zone. Like, I think they were plus 30 by entry attempts, according to Cam Chiron's tracking. Uh, they massively outchanced Vancouver. Uh, they outattempted them by 40. Like, I think the shot attempt totals were like 71 to 31. Like, it was a lambasting. And, and here's the thing. I'm going to repeat it. The Canucks need to take nine of their next 10 points to get back to 500. You need to go 10 and three before American Thanksgiving to probably be in a playoff spot in the Western Conference at that fateful moment, right? It's not enough to win one game. It's great. It's it's fantastic. And I was honestly, genuinely just so happy to go into that locker room after a win and just be like, oh, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not walking on eggshells. I'm not doing my church mouse act. And not that the players required. It's just that, like, what are you going to say at some well, point? Well, how do you not feel it at some point when you're going in at, there? At some point, I just don't want to, like, try and get a guy to, like, when you need at least a win or two. I don't need the team to be, like, a winning team. But when a, when a losing streak's being endured, like, every laugh gets, like, a, a, draws a hard look. Like, that's how professional sports are. So, anyway. It the other was so thing nice I, to I did want in. to say, by the way, I don't know how many of the uh, the Canucks media made the trip down to Seattle, but it felt like almost you had like a private one on one with Bruce Boudreaux in the post game well, presser. I was listening to it on the post game show. I was like, "Wow, Dranser's getting a lot of time." Here. Well, yeah, you know, it was accentuated by the fact that, like, th- for some reason, the backdrop was set up in like an alcove, uh-huh. like a small alcove, and. Canberra, our lovely station manager, had asked me to collect audio, so I arrive a little bit late because I was talking to Pedersen. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was the last media guy in the room talking to Petey, and I walk out, and all the cameras are set, and there's nowhere for me to get close enough with my phone to record good enough audio, so I step into the alcove, okay? And then Bruce Boudreaux comes in, and he looks at me, and he goes, are we really going to just stand together like this? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we are. So it wasn't just that I had a private one-on-one. It's like literally we were in like a private space together. And I'm, I, you can't really see it, but I'm like literally leaning out of the frame so that I'm not in the Canucks' shot. But this is the sacrifice that I make to be a team player for 650. And I will imagine that interaction a lot smoother. A lot easier after Bruce Boudreaux picks up his 600th win than it would be oh, if no. they blew that lead. We, we we were laughing about it the whole time, and I and I told him afterwards, I was like, next time I'll give you more space, and he's like, don't worry about it. You know, like it was like <laughs> truly we were laughing and guffawing about it. Like, but you know what? I also probably wouldn't have done it if they'd lost their eight in a row, right? Like I'm like, okay, I can get away. Ah, I probably still would have, but it feels wanted, a lot worse. I wanted to send Josh crisp post game audio, baby. Okay, anyway. <laughs> this is a lot of inside baseball stuff, but the, so, but, but here's the thing, right? It's not enough to win one game. It's nice, but it's insufficient, right? This team needs to get on a run to reach their goals. They need to win a lot of games. And I saw nothing in their performance last night that's translatable from the perspective of can this team do something like win 10 of 13? Can they win at a hundred point pace going forward, right? If you play that game eight times or 10 times, let's go with a round number, 10 times, the Canucks probably win it three times, right? Like that's how much better Seattle was than them. If they play like that routinely, they're not a playoff team. And frankly, the overall impression that I was left with was 
Seattle's much improved and still not a playoff team, certainly not mm-hmm. without far better goaltending. And likewise, I thought the Canucks played sloppy again, right? They lose too often in the neutral zone. There's not enough puck-moving push. Guys like Studnika and Bear, even if they hit, aren't moving the needle for this like for this group. Like, you cannot play the way the Canucks played last night and win sustainably in this league. And so I was happy for the players. I liked a lot of what I saw. I loved the effort. But there is more that's required if you're going to get on the sort of heater that this team enjoyed for the latter 57 games last season and the sort of heater that might bring you back to the brink of playoff contention after the hole they dug themselves in the first seven games. Two things I thought happened for the Canucks that haven't really happened at all this season before that game. They won the goaltending battle, even though Demko wasn't great. We can talk about that, but Martin Jones. Yeah, it, was, it actually might have been one of his worst games of the year. But they won the goaltending battle. They did. Demko. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. The, right? the Mikheyev second goal. Whew. So they win the goaltending battle, and they won the special teams battle, right? And mm. so you do that. You have a chance to win a game, when, even though you're getting outshot. Again, it's not sustainable, but you at least it puts you in the running to win a game that you're getting badly outchanced in. I also thought you could really notice the absence of a true game-breaking offensive player in the Seattle Kraken lineup, right? Like, I was thinking, man, if if they had Kirill Kaprizov, or forget Connor McDavid, but just like that tier of game-breaking player with the amount of space they were generating, the amount of speed they had... They're probably putting another one or two past that Jodemko well, in that and, game. And Matty Benier's, Johnny Gaudreau. Matty Benier's ain't far off. I mean, he's not he's there not yet. There yet. He's but not he, there yet. He's, he's a really, really good player. But I was so impressed with him last night. We've seen what that echelon of players has done to the Canucks this season, right? Like, they have picked them apart. And I thought you noticed, like, Seattle was crying out to have that top of the lineup elite offensive player uh, to, to take advantage of the space that the Canucks were providing them. So, hey, look, you got to play the opponent that's in front of you, and they don't have that player, and that's you use that to your advantage, and you get the win. But then you're looking at the game against uh, Pittsburgh tonight, right? Then you're looking at the game next week against New Jersey, and they have Jack Hughes who can do that, right? Like, there's a lot of those guys. Team Most teams have one of those guys. Certainly the teams you're competing with for playoff spots tend to have one of those guys. You you got to figure out an answer. You can't just let them perforate you all season. Seattle doesn't have the guy to take advantage of it, but again, I thought it was like, oh man, if there was an all-star, a true all-star in this lineup, it would be dangerous. I, I, like, I like your formulation because it has me thinking a little bit fondly about the fact that I found last night's game maddening at times because of how sloppy the play was but also really fun, right? And neither of these are particularly good teams. And it's just a reminder. Like, if you're watching on Sportsnet now, I, I'm still, like, trying to say, trying to avoid saying League Pass, particularly because of who pays my bills. But, um, but you know, I'm so used to calling it, like, a Game Center junkie. Yeah, but yeah, now yeah. it's a Sportsnet now. If you're watching on Sportsnet now premium around the league on, an, on a nightly basis right now, the quality of these, like, I don't know if you watched Rangers Colorado this week. I did. Oh, what a brilliant game. What fun. I mean, the quality of the product right now across the league, there's like five teams that really aren't good. But, I mean, even teams like Vancouver has a ton of, like, dazzling talent. Like, I watched, I watch guys like Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson play, and I'm awestruck. You know, I, I, I've, I watch a lot of Canucks players, and I'm like, man, these guys are unreal. And the Canucks are... You know, fringe playoff team. True talent fringe playoff team, right? Uh, Seattle, too, like Burakovsky, like, and they're not, and you're like, 
I'm thinking about Seattle, Bjorkstrand, Burakovsky, like how much better they look, how excited I am about Maddie Benier. Like, man, that's an exciting talent. And then you're like, man, if they'd had top-end talent, it's like, right, they don't even have top-end talent, they they're, don't have and to, they're they exciting. Have nice support and complimentary players. Beniers looks like he's going to be a top-end yeah. talent very, very soon. But they're exciting. Yeah. Legitimately exciting, which is just a testament to how much talent there is in the league right now. Like, the league is in such a good place. If you're globally watching all of these teams play, it's really exciting. It should be really exciting for the league. Um, it is really exciting for the league, I'm sure. And and I encourage everyone to watch as many like watch out of market games here because not not a knock on the Canucks, just because the league is so fun right now. It's so fast. There's so much skill. Uh, we've seen a lot of that skill have really good nights against the Canucks, but maybe watch it when you can enjoy it. Watch <laughs> yes. it when you can enjoy it a so bit more. you're not more. pulling that's, your hair out. <laughs> that's my strong recommendation. Anyway, uh, you're right. There's, I mean, that was th- those were my takeaways. Like, neither of these teams look like they're likely to crash the playoff picture. I mean, you think about the playoff picture in the West, or in the Pacific anyway, and it's like it doesn't even include Vegas from last season, right? So you're talking chalk in the Pacific. You're talking... Calgary, Edmonton, and um, LA. LA, right? So, really, Vegas, <laughs> Vegas is going to crash that picture. LA is probably going to have trouble holding on. Not, not so distinct from our expectations. I don't want to overreact too much early, but like to me, Seattle and Vancouver look like a, a class beneath those teams. That's what the game looked like to me last night. Anyway, it was a little bit sloppy. It was super fun. Loved the effort of the Canucks players. At the end of the day, they're going to need to play an awful lot better. This team's going to need to play an awful lot better if they're going to get back into um, a position to accomplish what they set out to do when this season kicked off. Yeah, and I think the other thing is it doesn't even really matter, the playoff discussion, until we see when Quinn Hughes gets back in the lineup and what he looks like when he gets back in the lineup, right? If it's a return to form and not the Quinn Hughes we saw to start the year. Again, one of the things we talked about with Batch earlier in the show was Oliver ekman Larson continuing to not look like the player we saw last year, right? Continuing to be a problem on the blue line for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, that pairing with Tyler Myers, I know there's a natural kind of inclination to, from a lot of Canucks fans to pin that on Tyler Myers. And we have somebody texting in, you know, I counted eight missed passes by Myers, which ended up as icing calls. But Myers, I don't think, is being put in a great spot right now. One, the minutes he's playing, and two, the fact that his partner is not giving him a lot. I thought it was another noticeably tough game for Oliver ekman Larson, And, you know, the domino effect of getting Quinn Hughes back and getting Quinn Hughes back at something close to the level of play, close to his ceiling, right, that we've become accustomed to to seeing from Quinn Hughes. Like, one, obviously, that's just a huge boost to your lineup, especially for a team that can't move the puck like the Canucks. But also, I mean, you got to find a way while he's playing like this, at least, unless he regains his form, you have to find a way to start sheltering that pairing and Oliver ekman Larson specifically. Because right now, Drance, the results when those guys are on the ice are ugly. And if they continue to be your top pair, it's going to be so hard to string that winning streak together like you're talking about. I thought it was a really tough game for both of them. And I, and I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think you can absolve Myers. Like There were shifts where it just looked like he couldn't pass the puck at all. Like Every pass was disrupted. And, you know, I think about that one heavy shift that they had in the third period where it's Miller, Horvat, Garland. Mm-hmm. Garland? No. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He was their lineman. Miller, Horvat, Garland. 
Myers OEL, and they're just sort of passing it out wide, and it's a really heavy shift, and it lasts a, a good amount of time, and then the puck goes the other way, and it becomes a heavy shift for Seattle, and Myers and OEL have multiple chances to clear it, and they can't, and then Oliver ekman Larson puts it over the glass, and it's a penalty, and that ended up being really Seattle's best chance to get back into a game, and it's like that's how losing streaks extend. You know, we were talking about the Heat winning streak the other day, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like Shane Battier was the guy, the secret guy, because it wasn't just that he did it in Miami. He also did it in Houston. That's right. Houston had the extended incredible wins. Like he was part of two of the greatest win streaks of all time. And the point is, is that when you have a guy, the no box score, the no box score all star, -star, right? Which is the Michael Michael Lewis New York Times Magazine piece. um, And and I highly recommend you go read it. Uh, When you have a guy who's like subtly, quietly, just like takes care of uh, the details, the little things, a guy who makes the right play, like. 99.9% 99.9% of the time. Do you know who the hockey version is? Who? He's been part of some of the biggest winning streaks in hockey history. They all seem to include Radko Gudis. <laughs> I don't know why, but they do. They do. Everywhere Radko goes, the wins follow. It's strange, but it's the truth. I'm sorry. It's just, I don't know why. I don't... I, I find it hard to explain, but just like go look at his hockey DB page. It's like the Flyers trade um, or the Lightning get good right as they develop a big hitting third pair defenseman named Radko Gudis. Then he goes to the Flyers, and the Flyers like have that nice run right, and then he's in Washington, and they're winning games, and like everywhere Radko goes, he's he's hockey Shane Battier. Now he's in South Florida. Look, the parallels continue. Anyway. The vice, the opposite of that is the drip guys. I call them the drip guys because it's like they don't obviously kill you, but drip, 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 slowly but surely that your cup will empty because they don't get to the pinch. They don't make that pass. The puck gets turned over. And it's not big mistakes. It's just like little things that create a harder environment for it's an accumulation. Your team. It's an accumulation. And right now for me, Oliver ekman Larson, he wasn't like this last year, but right now for me, he is a drip player for this team. He is creating more difficult sledding for everyone when he's on the ice. And I, you know, I'm not ready to say that that's what he is forever, but he certainly has been like that through eight games. And he certainly was like that last night, even though they win, even though he played 28 minutes, I thought it was a really concerning performance from Vancouver's top end. And, you know, you hope certainly that the acquisition of bear can help offset the extent to which this team is leaning on that group. Well, that's the thing. There's there's no place to hide for them right now. Right? Like it's you we have to play you almost 30 minutes a game because of the rest of our blue line and when you take a player who's struggling and you ask them to carry that kind of burden, you're you're really playing with fire. I understand why they're doing it. Again, they don't have any other good options, but it, it's putting Oliver Ekman Larson in a tough position given his form. And then, yeah, we're seeing the results play out night in, night out. The Canucks are back at it against the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll talk about that, uh, how that matchup sets up. Uh, I know you want to get into uh, the Stanika deal a little bit as well, Drancer. So we'll continue to talk about that. Plus, take more of your text, 650, 650. 50 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It's Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the show. Happy Friday afternoon to everyone. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz on a very, 
very busy day from a Canucks perspective. Coming off their first win of the season, a couple of trades in the bank. Another game against, oh yeah, Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins tonight at Rogers Arena. Looking forward to that one, even though it's going to be a very tough matchup for the Canucks. Uh, still lots to get into. You can always hit us up, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. I did have to reference this from uh, our pal David Quadrelli at Canucks Army, who tweeted this a few minutes ago. Uh, newest Canuck forward, Lane Peterson, and I want to shout out to one of our listeners who's saying it's Peterson, not Patterson. So newest Canuck forward, Lane Peterson, is the longtime boyfriend of Luke Shen's sister. So there you go. A little a little update on the uh, the new forward, Lane Peterson, and his ties to Luke Shen. Sportsnet 650, <laughs> breaking news. Come on, that's interesting. I think that's worth noting. Wouldn't it be intimidating to date Luke Shen's sister? It would be. That I will accept, yes. Anyways, I just wanted to get that out there. I thought it was a fun little tidbit. Whatever, guys. It's Friday afternoon. Let me have my fun, all right? Let me have my fun. Uh, (laughs) Is it had yet? I don't want to interrupt you. (laughs) Fine. We'll move on and talk about something else. You guys. Man, tough crowd in here. Um, So about Olaf the Snowman. (laughs) Let's get this conversation back on the rails. Uh we haven't really, well, I mean, we d- we did a little bit, but Jack Studnicka, Studnicka, as Dominic Schermatti informs right. me, um, comes over in the deal yesterday Whose from sister Boston. is he dating? <laughs> we don't know yet. <laughs> All right. So, Studnicka. Studnicka is an uh, interesting piece. Like, I actually like that. Tra- I think I like that trade a lot more than everybody else. <laughs> and then, and then. It's interesting because I feel like I probably, relative to the market, I think the body of work, the three trades we've seen in the last three weeks, I'm probably the lowest on in the market. Because I just... Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know. I, I feel like no one else is criticizing it as a holistic approach. Okay. All right. But I think there's there was plenty of criticism of the Dickinson one and sure. of the one last night. I saw a lot yeah, of people you're react right. negatively to it. For sure they did. Yeah. Last night... Because Jonathan Myrenberg was involved. Um, I get that. I actually do get that because at the end of the day, there's a real chance that Myrenberg could be something of value, tangible value, in two, three years. It's just that right now, you know, it's, he's so he's like two years away from being two years away. Yeah. And the probability is is that even if he hits you've got like an Aaron Rome type now there's always a chance that you get well here the, now now I'm ready to do my clendenning forsling right, take do okay ready among the bad age gap trades that this organization has made for the last decade the clendenning forsling deal is by far the most defensible right that was the trade i probably liked the most Vay for a second. Let, let's let's just let's just uh, remember some guys for a bit. Mm-hmm. There's two that I would defend to this day, and and then there were some really bad ones. Vay for a second, Andre Padan for a third, Hunter Shinkarik for Sven Berchi. Right? Yes. Well, no, it was a second it was for Berchi. Uh, it was Shinkarik a for, second for, for Sven Berchi, and it was Hunter Shinkarik for Marcus Granlund. Yeah. Then there's two that I don't mind that much. Nick Jensen in a sixth for Emerson Edom. All right. Okay. That was one. I don't mind that one. And Gustav Forsling for Adam Clendenning. Now, 
We know what happened with Clendenning. He didn't work out, and then he was a throw-in into the uh, Brandon, the Brandon Sutter, Sutter trade. Deal, yeah. In addition to a second-round pick. Oh, my goodness. The Canucks did get a third back, I think, but still. Oh, painful. Gustav Forsling, it took Gustav Forsling four teams in eight years for anyone to be like, oh, man, they really whiffed there. Like That happens sometimes. Still to this day, Forsling is a systems-dependent 4-5. You know, like, he works in Florida because of the way that team attacks without the puck and because he's such a good mobile attacking defenseman. But his two-way ability is still, like, pretty iffy and, and exposed right now in Florida while they have a ton of guys out of the lineup. Forsling was also coming off of a almost historic world junior performance and was probably a better prospect than Myrenberg, frankly. Uh, it's just that Myrenberg now is the only prospect this organization has, so it feels... At that position. At yeah. that position. Well, I mean, it's not much of a stretch to say say it the way I said it, right? I mean, you like Klimovich, you like Lekermacki, and it's a bunch of question marks. It's a bunch of depth prospects, and that's kind of what Myrenberg is, right? He's not seen as a guy who, if he hits, he's a top four guy. It's like you're hoping he gives you NHL games. Now, one of a hundred of those types of players ends up being really good, but the chances are small. The risk is small. The cost paid to get Studenica is extremely low, just like the cost paid to get Clendenning was extremely low. Uh, Clendenning was a way better bet to be what Forsling is now than Forsling is. It's just that Forsling happened to hit. I still don't hate that trade, even all these years later, knowing exactly how it turned out. And I think the thing for me about Myrenberg is you can't let the fact that he is their quote-unquote best right-handed defenseman prospect cloud your thinking too much, right? Like, that shouldn't actually change the calculus that dramatically. If if you think Studnika has more present and future value... You can't desperately cling on to this like really distant, low-level prospect in Myrenberg just because of the needs of your roster and the needs of the, your prospect pipeline right now, right? Like that to me would be bad, bad process. If you look at it and say, "Oh man, we actually think Studnika is better, more likely to give us good value," but oh, we really just can't afford to trade any right-handed defenseman prospects. That process would concern me more than the one that they actually did. Sending Myrenberg out. Now, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, you know, I'm an expert on Jack Studnika's game and what he is likely to give the Canucks and this organization. But if your calculation is this adds value to our franchise, it doesn't really matter to me what position Jonathan Myrenberg is, right? Like, ultimately, what you need to do is you need to add value. We'll see if they actually did that in this deal. But I don't have a problem with trading Myrenberg simply because he has that like dubious distinction of being the best right-handed defenseman prospect. And I, the other thing I'll say is... No, that's like you're the most likable host on Canucks Talk. Like, wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're a likable guy, but not because you're the most likable host on Canucks Talk. I was, I was trying to think of it like... <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, I... I um. I know the most, like, uh, and I don't actually, but just a hypothetical. Like, that guy, he's he knows the most astrophysics of anyone at 650. It's like, oh, really? You don't say. <laughs> you don't say, wow, that's a really high bar that you're jumping over there. It's like, it doesn't actually mean you're, cre- you're cut out to be an astrophysicist. Congratulations, Bick. <laughs> yes, yes, or whoever <laughs> it might be. But yeah, I was trying to think of that analogy, too. It's like, that's really not saying much. It no. is really, really not saying much. You can't cling to that guy and overrate them just because you don't have anything else in the cupboard. And again, the, if you are concerned about, okay, where are our organizational needs, 
in the prospect pipeline, well, center is a really big one too. <laughs> center is a really, really big one, just as big as the guy as the the right side of defense. So I understand the knee jerk reaction to be like, hey, wait a second, hold on here. I thought you were desperately trying to rebuild the blue line and rebuild the prospect pipeline, but you have to add value. I said it yesterday or earlier this week. You got to open up pathways to improve. Adding value to your organization does that. Maybe if who knows if Stanika hits, it's you don't it's money you don't have to spend somewhere else. It, it's an asset that you could potentially use to move. Right? There's all these other pathways, and I think that more than anything is the key for me. There's a real chance he hits as a winger. There's a real chance that he like is a player but is not the third line center type but is instead a Tyler Mott type mm-hmm. right i mean that's one thing to keep in mind particularly because it's been his offense that has flatlined most significantly i remember when we did our comparables exercise just to just to sort of um by the way, Bob and Nanaimo points out, neither of you are likable. So there's, there you go. Your, your analogy falls flat. Well, I still think you're more likable. <laughs> That's probably when true. I, I don't like, you're less likable when you say that. Um, <laughs> I remember we went through a comparables exercise at The Athletic. So I, I you know, I do this every now and then. It's based, mm-hmm. it's based on some of the cohort research that colleagues, uh, my former Canucks Army's colleague, uh, Former Canucks Army colleagues like Cam Lawrence and Jeremy Davies with his um, PGPS model uh, have sort of spearheaded, innovated on. And one of my, the high-end comparable that I came up with for Jonathan Myrenberg was right-handed Robert Hag. Right? So it's like, and the low end was Christian Yaros. So, I mean, that's sort of what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about a player in that mold. Uh, those guys can help you win, particularly if they're grown in-house on entry-level deals. But, you know, I I basically look at this as a free flyer on a guy who I was really excited about 18 months ago and now think, well, he's probably got about six months until we know for sure if he's what I call a jag, just a guy, mm-hmm. or, or a real player. Um, there's a real chance he's a jag. There's a real chance. Pr- probably a likelihood, right? More likely than not, Studenica is nothing. But if he hits, if you get yourself a right-handed third-line center who plays tough and can contribute 30 points a year, that's a huge win. Like, that's the type of player this organization hasn't had since they traded Nick Bonino. You know, I mean, it's been a really long time where third-line center has been probably this club's biggest need. I think about it today. Like, I'm watching the PK. Like, what does this team really lack? It's that one forward who's like a defensive conscious forward for this entire group, right? Can handle matchups five-on-five, can really take ownership of the PK. Like, that's the type of player. It's been 10 years since the Canucks employed a guy capable of even... You know, masquerading convincingly in that in that sort of role, right? Like Manny Malhotra, you really have to go back to Malhotra before since this organization had a guy who could do it at a high level. They're lacking it, right? Like Horvat and Pedersen don't have those skills necessarily, or certainly that's not where they're optimally used. Mm-hmm. JT Miller definitely doesn't have those skills, and we need to s- accept that, right? Like, um, and then, but you know, could this guy be it? Probably not. Probably not. Most likely not. But there's a chance. And it's worth paying this price, in my view, to find that out. Just like it's worth paying a fifth to find out if Bear can be, you know, and and again, everyday player, qual- everyday quality player, four or five quality player doesn't cut it because of his contract structure, right? 
really he needs to be a top four guy or you're probably non-tendering him. So he's got a high bar to leap over. It's definitely worth a fifth to find out if the if the sort of if he can play at that level. Um, he could be worthwhile even if he can't, considering the uh, acquisition cost is that low. It's really the overall outflow of 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 picks, right? The continued outflow of picks, considering where this team is positioned, that concerns me. Just because I think you need cash in hand. And I think you need to carve out cap space. And I think you need to be so bold about how you go about doing it. I, I honestly don't think there's a move too bold to be worth doing if it carves out meaningful future cap flexibility for this franchise. And once you do that, you really do need to have a full arsenal or even an overloaded arsenal, a surplus of draft pick capital so that you're prepared to jump on the opportunities that are available to teams capable of taking on guys. Right, if you're able to take on the full freight of Sean Monahan, that's worth a first round pick, right? Like, how do you accelerate things? That's how you accelerate things, and you can go about doing it and not even be that bad. Certainly, like the Montreal example is so good. Like, I don't know if you have any Habs fans in your life, but they're excited about this team. Mm. They're like, it's not miserable to be a Habs fan right now. They're they're they play hard for Mar- Marty Saint Louis. They like the coach. They're excited about Slavkovsky. They post excited gifts about guys like, it's like, oh, look at this amazing. And it's like a very basic deke through the neutral zone that doesn't even result in a scoring chance. And Habs fans are like, wow, Slavkovsky. You know, like, it's amazing how quickly hope returns. Amazing. Uh, this text came in from Karn. How are you comparing our center depth to our defense depth? Hello, we have JT, Bo, and Petey. What do we have behind Quinn? Bad take saying trading defense for center is okay. Well, I was talking about the prospect depth, but <laughs> even looking at what you just laid out at center on the main roster right now, JT Miller is probably more suited to being on the wing long-term, and Bo Horvath might not be here beyond this season. So you could very easily be down to just Eli- Elias Pettersson, in fact, in terms of your center depth on the main roster. So yes, center is absolutely still an organizational need, especially in the prospect pipeline, but potentially at the main roster level, good, sooner rather than later also. It's a good argument to go about accumulating with discipline over the long haul here because it's going to be very hard. If you lose Bo Horvat, which feels inevitable, at this point it feels inevitable, right? Yeah. It certainly seems like that's how are you positioned to sign Bo Horvat? Like it's really hard to it's really hard to even wrap your head around how it would work, right? I mean, and and so if Miller is a better fit on the wing long term, and you're losing Bo Horvat, and you have very few prospects coming, almost no, none of them centermen, and no cap space, and your defense is bad, like what? Yeah, what are we doing here? And that's why. My number one criteria for judging these trades is not about the position. It's, did you add value? Because looking at this roster and saying, okay, these are the holes we need to plug right now, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me, right? You need to just find ways overall to improve the upside in your organization. And I I think it's a fair debate to have on the the Stunika-Meyrenberg one, whether or not they did that. But that's my point is it can't just be about... No, you can't possibly trade a right-handed defense prospect because they have other needs. And just overall, they need a talent boost. They need to find a way to improve the upside on this team. Final few minutes of the show, 650, 650. You can keep getting your thoughts in. Um, They got to play Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang tonight at Rogers Arena. 
transfer. Uh, we'll wait to hear no pregame skate uh, or game day skate from the Canucks today uh, because, of course, they were in Seattle last night. So we'll wait to hear. I think at four o'clock, Bruce Boudreaux is going to speak to the media. We'll likely get an update on JT Miller's status. I guess there's also the question of does Thatcher Demko start again because you so desperately need wins and it's against a good team? But man, I it doesn't the, it doesn't look like it. Yeah, right? and I would just be really surprised. Like Kevin Woodley said that. Uh, Spencer Martin looked like he was going through the starters routine. I I think it would be a real problem if they were I like I think it would be panicky, desperate, embarrassing. Like use one of those adjectives. It's not I think it would be misguided or like I don't think that's warranted. Like it's worse than that. If they if they're starting Demko in a back-to-back this early even with the short travel, the short haul to and from Seattle, should be Martin, it must be Martin. You've got uh, you know um, some time off. Yeah, Demko hasn't played that well, right? Like he can use that time. You don't want to burn his bullets in game, especially in a game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are going to generate a lot against the Canucks unless they play an awful lot better than they did last night. When you could be using that time instead in practice to sharpen up and get him back on track. The only path for the to, to the playoffs for the Canucks at this point is Demko getting on an unholy tear. An unholy tear. Save his energy for that, particularly as you only have two games next week, right? You you have some time to take a breath with Demko. Demko, and, and this is like an Ian Clark classic, he likes to reset with his goaltenders, right? Those are useful periods for him. When Demko has missed starts in the past, when Markstrom used to miss starts sometimes too, the Canucks would talk about him working with Clark on a reset. Like, this is something all goalies need, and and, and it's like a hallmark of what of how Clark manages them. Demko can use his energy on that. Martin Martin should go tonight. Looks like he will go tonight based on Kevin Woodley expertly reading between the lines of the practice routine. Let's hope he's right. It's the only right call for this team. Pittsburgh minus 200 uh, tonight <laughs> on the road against the Vancouver Canucks. Sorry. Pittsburgh minus, minus 200. 200. Yeah, that's right. PlayNow.com. That's right. Canucks plus 165. Just quickly on Demko. I think the fact that they have the three days off after this, right? So you give Demko tonight off. That's four days off without playing a game for Demko. And I mean, he looks like he needs it right now, right? Like that was probably his weakest performance of the season last night in Seattle. They get the win. That's great. He had some kind of Demko type moments, but he also had some not so great moments, right? And as you said, if if they have any hope of of turning the season around, you got to get Demko right as soon as possible. If that means, you know, throwing Spencer Martin to the Wolves, uh, a little bit here tonight against a really good Pittsburgh Penguins team. Well, then that's what you got to do because you have to find a way uh, to get to get Thatcher Demko playing at his highest level and a little bit of rest, a chance to work with Ian Clark. Looks like exactly what he needs right now. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. This one came in. You were talking about uh, if people have any Habs fans in their lives. This guy says, "I work with a couple Quebecers. One guy wants to bet me." that Nick Suzuki will get more points this season than JT Miller. Is that a smart bet for me to take? I would not take that. No, I would fade that bet. Um, Nick Suzuki is younger and is getting all of the opportunity and the Habs power play. I think will get pretty decent once they get Mike Matheson back and have like a real NHL defenseman quarterbacking it. So I would fade that. Um, you know, I, I mean, what? JT Miller had a point last night, so he's on pace for 65. Yeah. Something like that. Um, Nick Suzuki 
has seven and eight, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So JT has six and eight. Nick Suzuki has seven and eight. And and it's not like, you know, it's not like JT Miller's an every season 99 point player and Nick Suzuki's like an every season 50 point player who doesn't, you know, who just needs to level up a bit. Like Nick Suzuki is a 20, you know, is 23 now, but as a 22 year old last season, hit 61. Right. So one guy who's has mostly been a 60 point guy for his career and then exploded last season at the age of 29. One guy is on the upward trajectory of their career with every opportunity as the captain and first line center of, of a bad team that has no incentive not to blow this guy up in terms of his usage all year long. And he's just entering his statistical prime. There could easily be like a 70, 75 point ceiling that Suzuki sustains for several years. I would I would fade I would fade the Suzuki H2H more points bet when it comes to uh when it comes to um him versus Miller. There you go. What do you need like a like Suzuki I don't know like minus Oh, you be? want a handicap? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Would it be like minus five uh, and a half, something I, like that? I mean, I don't think you'd bet it as a handicap with Suzuki. I think you'd be looking at it as Suzuki for value because at the end of the day, like you're not betting straight up Oh, you're not you're not giving Suzuki the minus when he had 38 points fewer than Miller sure. a year ago. You know, it's like sure. it's like really you're just looking for the Miller handicap, like the Miller, you know, mi- uh, minus 15, and then hitting Suzuki with with pleasure. That's there sort of the, that's sort of the angle you're looking at there. I think there you go. I like it. That's a good answer. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. I think it got got the message across to yeah. our texter. Yeah, don't lose a bet to your coworker. <laughs> uh, final text comes in from Corbett, who asks, "Why didn't they play Spencer Martin last night and Demko tonight? You needed a win. Yeah, get you, off the you shine. You couldn't. You couldn't get cute with it. You needed to do anything you could to get a win. If you'd lost last night, it's harder to get a win tonight than you risk going into next week as a zero and nine team." You know, and like, make no mistake, you go 0-7 the way the Canucks did. Like, I mean, I've repeated these stats a lot just because I think they're so telling, right? Mm-hmm. You have to win 10 of 13 to get to 24 points in 21 games, which is likely to be the playoff bar at American Thanksgiving, a date that everyone knows matters. You have to win nine or five, four of your next five and get a point in the fifth just to get back to 500, right? It gets so early, so late. When you drop points the way the Canucks did to start the season off, they get in the win column on Thursday night in Seattle. They'll look to continue that tonight against Pittsburgh. Big test on a back-to-back against a team that has dominated them over the past few years. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to everyone for texting. And Josh Elliott Wolf has Sportsnet today coming up next. And of course, your full pregame coverage of the Canucks against the Penguins starts at six with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Postgame coverage with Satin Bick here on 650 as well. Keep it locked right here. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.